0: Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday.
1: It's passed down as a prophecy. Every year about this
0: time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras.
1: Good day, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. And with me today are Joe Boot and Nathan O'Black as usual. Today our topic is the U.S. election. And when uh, when we sat down a couple of weeks ago, we scheduled out the next few weeks of the topics that we were going to cover in the show. We were thinking that here, you know, a week after America had gone to the polls, we'd be in a position to comment on the results. Uh, here we sit, not only uh, without a decisive declaration, but we've got pundits from every point on the spectrum united around this maxim that you know nobody is going to trust polling numbers ever again we've got reports of brazen examples of vo- voter fraud being perpetrated on a national scale and that's just sort of the uh, the environment that we find ourselves in so without uh, without wanting to reread all the news stories over the past week again One of the things that uh, we've been talking about here, Joe, is how it's become increasingly misleading to refer to the United States of America. And one of the points that uh, you've brought up a couple of times is that what we're dealing with is a worldview election. So uh, Joe, to start us off today, can you just comment on that phrase worldview election and the fundamental division that you see in Western culture uh, that this election has highlighted?
0: Yeah, I think that uh it's kind of been a remarkable experience uh watching the last uh, four years in many respects but uh, the last six months especially to see the uh, degree of polarization uh that's happened and is happening in the US and uh to I think for many of us here in Canada anyway, and in perhaps in other parts of the West, I think the speed with which the hard pull to what we would call a kind of political radicalism, radicalization, the speed with which that has taken place, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago where one could look at American politics and, and see on both sides of the aisle, uh, certainly agreement on many points, um, with some nuanced differences around the edges. And now I think those days are clearly gone. Um, and the, the, we we've talked before on our program about how, in fact, I think we did a full episode on the French revolution and the, uh, difference between conservative um, moderates and 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 radicals, uh, and the fact that the pull has constantly been to the left in the West since the French Revolution. I think, though, nonetheless, for many Christians, the speed of 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 this pull has been shocking, uh, surprising. And so, when we talk about a, a contest of worldviews, uh, what I mean is that, uh, in fact, I think it was one of our fellows, Dr. Peter Jones, who said that uh, some months back that they had tried to impeach a worldview. Uh, and, uh, I think that the, when this is not in the end about partisan politics, and this isn't about, uh, stepping across the aisle and building and, and collaborating with others. Now, uh, this is, it's difficult to speak about a United States, uh, because what we see is a divided States, a radically divided States of America and it's to do with two uh, visions of society, two visions, two civic visions, two civic religions in that sense, or at least religions expressed civically, which are uh, completely opposite from one another. And the country is, um, you know, we can talk about polls and and uh, the details of the election in a minute, but we can see that from a worldview, from a religious standpoint, the country is pretty much divided down the middle. Uh, and um there of course may be those who, because of personalities um uh felt that uh, you know they'd vote for the person who smile they liked the best, and uh you know, I always find that incomprehensible that people would ever vote in those terms, but you know the as as Americans approached the uh the voting booth over these past you know few weeks uh some were doing mail in ballots of course and some voting on the day um i think the big distinction for us to keep in mind and this is something again that we've talked about i think fairly frequently is oftentimes as christians we think that the way to vote the ideal uh, vote would be to vote for a christian uh because then we're th- um thinking about christian things there's a Christian, there's somebody who professes to be a Christian, and therefore that must be the person to vote for, as opposed to thinking Christianly and voting for the platform, which from a worldview standpoint is uh, closest, close more closely aligned to a Christian world and life view. So there's the difference between thinking about Christian things, oh, there's a Christian, let me vote for them, and thinking Christianly. About politics, which is, I would rather vote for a non-Christian who had a, a platform that was broadly governed by a Christian world and life view than a Christian whose platform is governed by humanism and radical secularization. A very good example of that is in the UK was actually Tim Ferron, um in the, the last election. He's a, a liberal. And uh, a Christian, and many people thought, oh, isn't this wonderful? Let's vote for this Christian politician who's heading up a, Christ- uh, who's heading up a party in, in England. But his, his, uh, his platform, his policies, didn't represent a Christian worldview at all. So I think this is what uh, our, our comments as an institute and our wrestling with this, our thinking about this, will not be about personalities and tweets and um, uh, the hairstyle um, or the plastic surgery or lack thereof of candidates, um, we need to assess everything Christianly. We need to think in terms of a Christian world and life view. Uh, and that means fundamentally, when we're looking at politics, thinking about what is the political platform and not what is the talk, but what is the actual action? What What is the um it's not about pie in the sky when you die it's steak on the plate while you wait here i mean in in politics this is about real life now what are the things what what is the religious worldview that's going to govern the shape of our culture going forward um and uh that's the dominant question you know what is the platform what are the policies and what's the track record and actually in this us election that's just happened You've got um, uh, one uh, leader who's uh, got a now a four-year track record, and you've got one who's got a forty-six-year uh, track record to to look at in politics. It's not like we're struggling. Um, uh, there's manifestos, there's platforms out there, and so when you look at those two platforms, you look at those sets of policies, you look at those two directions. You're looking at world view issues. Two opposing worldviews and when you see it like that what you then see is a radical religious division in the united states that roughly split, splits the country down the middle and um maybe we can come to this circle back around to this later ryan but um unless something very significant changes uh the united states of america is a thing of the past and um that is something that, we're, that uh, at least for the time being, it, it's a thing of the past. I think us Canadians, you know, who who are used to radical progressivism dominating uh, the political landscape, perhaps, you know, look south of the border for a break for a, a country that would apply a certain amount of restraint to our own government because of a different posture. And that would be certainly, I think, uh, troubling for many uh Canadians who are Christian, that it looks as though unless something changes significantly in the ex- next few weeks, that break south of the border is has also gone.
2: Mm-hmm. And Joe, I just want to pick up a little bit on uh, the theme of the polarization we're seeing in American politics, but um, perhaps we could interact a little bit with this dominant narrative that we're seeing in the mainstream media, and that's that, uh, you know, we finally ousted that hateful, bigoted, divisive monster uh, that 70 million Americans happen to vote for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, now, and now we can work to bring, now that he's gone, now we can work to bring restoration, healing, and unity to this land. So we're seeing this simultaneous alienation of half the country, uh, whilst at the same time calling for unity. And I think that was really uh, typified in statements made by M- Michelle Obama. This past weekend, but she had said that you know there were tens of thousands of Americans that voted to support lies, hate, chaos, and division, and we've got a lot of work to do to reach out to these folks in the years ahead and connect with them on what unites us. So again, we see, um, we we see her uh, really calling out fifty uh, percent of the country on the platforms they were. Uh, voting for, to see come in again for the next four years, and then simultaneously saying we need unity. And, and Joe Biden, uh, in his you know, quote-unquote acceptance speech uh, over the weekend, uh, followed this theme as well. And I'd just like to share some of his comments he made uh, in that speech. And he began with, um, and I'm quoting him here, My fellow Americans, the people of this nation have spoken. They have delivered us a clear victory. A convincing victory, a victory for we the people. And of course, 70 million people in the United States would completely disagree with that statement. (laughs) He goes on to say, I sought this office to restore the soul of America, to unite us here at home. And he goes on in his speech, I've long talked about the battle for the soul of America. We must restore the soul. Of America. And of course, midway through, uh, a very interesting comment uh, from President-elect Joe Biden, but the Bible tells us that to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. And if I can just give you guys perhaps a moment to cool down after listening to those comments. Uh, no,
1: nobody can see you doing air quotes. <laughs> yeah. I, they, <laughs>
2: yes. I made them continually through that whole time, but um, yeah, maybe you guys can can respond to some of this rhetoric we're hearing from some of these, uh, these Democrats.
0: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, let, let's start with what was crystal clear in the lead up to the election. The polls uh, almost unanimously, bar maybe one, showing a massive blue wave sweeping across America uh, with with uh, Biden up 7, 14, 17 points in various states and a massive uh, win across the board. It's clear now that those were either... Um, uh, hope polls or they were suppression polls and i think it's more likely that they were in fact suppression polls they were they were efforts to suppress the vote and i think if you when you listen to these calls now for unity and reaching out and healing and all this sort of thing we've just been through in the united states we've just witnessed 4 years in which the 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 left Refused to accept the results of the 2016 election. Uh, there was the Russia hoax. There was the Mueller probe. There was the Ukraine hoax. There was the impeachment attempt. I'm not sure I can remember a week of peace that was given to that man, uh, Donald Trump, in the Oval Office. Um, uh, we there. There was the whole uh, uh, Pfizer scandal. The DNC paying for and funding a phony document to get uh, um, a uh, wiretaps on. So from before the man even got into the White House, uh, he was dealing with a essentially a coup. So you have a situation where your every step, his every move, was opposed. Uh, And the will of the American people because of the election was opposed month after month after month with a refusal to accept the legitimacy of the election. And now a few days into post the election where votes are still being counted and litigation is happening in a variety of different states, you've got this hypocritical call for um, healing around what unites us. Well, that's my question and that's the point we made. Uh, at the very beginning, when Ryan raised this question of of worldviews, what exactly is it that supposedly unites at this juncture? Uh, there, 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 there clearly isn't even the, uh, a shared belief in the Constitution, and and this uh, this has to be pointed out. Is that uh, in terms of the the Biden platform, uh, the packing of the Supreme Court the addition of states to the United States in order to try and tip, uh, the electoral college. There's, there's, uh, the, the, the assault on the second amendment. So there's not even, uh, the, the and I, would said to my American friends, you know, some years ago, um, in, in talking with, uh, many of them in the legal profession and, and some who were in the, in, in the work of cultural apologetics, that the American constitution cannot save, cannot save America. I think some American conservatives have been blind to the fact that the constitution itself cannot save the United States. Only Jesus Christ can preserve and save the United States. And uh, there's a departure from originalism. One of the, the great things, of course, that did happen during the Trump tenure was these three Supreme Court appointments um which of course the left is livid about and that's why they want to pack the supreme court now as to the this giving some kind of this election uh result as it currently stands giving some kind of ringing endorsement to the radical platform of biden well they didn't pick up seats in congress they lost multiple seats in congress at least 12 i think maybe more um uh they at the moment it looks as though The Republicans have held the Senate as well, although there is going to be, I think, a a runoff in in Georgia that uh, could be decisive. Um, And uh, I believe that um, some legislatures were flipped as well, some state legislatures uh, in the Republican direction. So the notion that this, in fact, more people uh, voted for Trump uh, this year than in 2016. In fact, he received the most votes of. Uh, even if there has been uh, some miscounting and there's Trump, there's uh, Trump votes to be added, which we don't know yet. Uh, he got more votes than any previous sitting president in U.S. history. So, the notion that there we are now going to experience some kind of step across the aisle and we're all going to sing "Kumbaya," we're going to see that see that see people singing "Kumbaya" in the U.S. I think is delusional thinking. It's just delusional thinking because this is a fundamental religious rift. It's a worldview rift. No uh a no um band-aid is going to be able to fix it. It's a religious divide and uh it's not fixable in political terms. And um the that that's patently clear, I think. Um, people have stepped forward during this process uh, to participate in their own government, of course, which we can in a representative democracy, and it's clear from the ballot box that uh, what was for, for many years a workable two-party system and a constitution that was workable for the United States, that that uh, consensus that what unites them is the Constitution uh, and a fundamental conviction that in God we trust, it's gone. There is no longer a shared belief even in the Constitution. And that has uh, brought the United States to a point of, uh, of, of real crisis. Um, even before the election, as you know, in, in numerous states, several months before the election, Uh, There were, um, Democrats were litigating for changes in the electoral rules, in the electoral process, um, and irregularities were predicted. Now there's bunches of court cases, uh, and we've witnessed a highly unusual election. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. This has not been a run-of-the-mill election. So I think, uh, Nathan, you know, these kind of speeches are superficial. I think, to put it kindly, they are hypocritical in the extreme, and there is no real. um, Maybe we can talk about this in a moment. There's no there's no uh, real hiding the radical agenda that the Biden Kamala ticket. Kamala, by the way, is the Kamala Harris, the vice the vice president uh, elect, possibly, um, is the most radical senator in the history of the United States and um, we're probably all aware that Biden at the best of times is struggling to articulate clear sentences Um, and he's 78 years old. How long does he uh, have, is he going to make it to the midterms as president uh, to his 80th birthday? He'd certainly be the oldest president in the history of the United States. So there are big question marks around the 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 whether he can even make it to a uh, to an election for a second term uh will he make it to the midterms before uh Kamala Harris is um is president of the United States those are real questions that uh, are being asked right now mm.
1: joe if we can uh switch gears a little bit off of the platform and we can come back to that but let's look at uh Look at some of the the people, some of the voters, and I mean, if if you spend any time on social media, on some of this, even the conservative Christian or even reformed corners of social media, uh, first uh, thoughts and prayers to you for if you do. But uh, uh, one thing, one thing that you see is a significant chorus of what to what you might call Christian fatalism or Christian complacency. Uh, these uh, these are Christians. These are believers who they're dealing with the results of of this election. They're seeing it go in a way that they're not happy about, and maybe not in so many words, but they acknowledge this worldview divide. But their response is effectively to you know say with kind of a shrug that oh Jesus is still king of my home. This election hasn't changed anything there, uh, and what uh, what do you say to to this kind of sentiment
0: well it's a it's a common uh sentiment and uh it's it's certainly the case that um we can say and affirm that jesus Christ is still, is still king um, We can agree with that in fact Proverbs 8:15 said it is by me that kings reign and rulers enact." just law, Um, and uh, goes on to talk about uh, God appointing uh, righteous judges and establishing uh, judges. In um, Daniel 2 um, and verse 21, uh, we read, he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And we can speak legitimately in broad terms about the absolute sovereignty of God over this situation, uh, and we should. Um, scripture says, though, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so, God does change the times and seasons. He 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 appoints kings. He throws down uh, kings. Um. And so, as Christians, we can certainly today rest and trust in the sovereignty of God. And that's a thought that we'll come back to at the end, I think, would be important for us all to meditate on. Uh, but this sort of um, pious notion that, um, well, it's que sera, sera uh, fear not, um, Jesus is still king in my heart and king in my home, as though this doesn't really matter. If it's that that's coming through, then of course we have a serious problem. We have a serious worldview problem. Uh, misunderstanding here because the uh the the results of uh elections you know it's often said that um elections have consequences changes in leaders have consequences uh and um uh, it will be well known to most of those Americans that you're talking about that um whatever the weaknesses and failures and sins of of the Trump administration of the, the Trump Pence ticket um and I think Uh, Pence is a genuinely devoted uh, and biblically evangelical, they fought for religious freedom. Uh, They fought for people's freedom of speech. Uh, They have have fought for an education that doesn't twist the the history of the United States to turn it into a radical leftist political uh, agenda. They battled abortion, partial birth abortion um they battled um uh, further radicalization by the lgbtq uh, uh community and i could go on and on and on they 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 battled for constitutionalism in on the supreme court not just on the supreme court but on but on state courts district courts right across america um they battled for uh, deregulation um and uh for more just trade and uh we could go on and on with the different things that 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 they fought for. Now, if you rem- if you remove all of that, you take all of that away. It's all very well to say Jesus, Lord, in my home. How long are you going to own your home for under un- under under th- this kind of uh, uh, administrative policy? We'll come on to that in a minute about Biden's hopes for the suburbs and what he intends to do with with housing and so on. Um, uh, you know, hopefully you'll still be able to pay your mortgage when your taxes have gone through the roof. I mean, these are the realities of political political life. And we have taken these sorts of liberties and freedoms for granted, especially in the United States, for so long uh, that um, many people are perhaps not sufficiently aware of the way in which uh, from uh, uh, uh because the state, and we've talked about this before because of statism, because of the way the state has expanded its role so dramatically in society, um, we've, we're not as aware as we need to be of the effects that this will have in the very ordinary things like the government of my own home. Uh, we can warn our American friends here in Canada, can we not? Uh, with things like Bill C six looming with with similar bills already passed in Ontario that um Jesus being king in your own home isn't as simple as it sounds in Canada today if the uh the the bureaucrats in Ontario decide that you have not guided your child in the right way the right way with respect to their gender they might seize your children out of your home so yes, we can talk about the sovereignty of God absolutely we can we and we should affirm that that god sets up kings he removes kings he, his judgment is active in the world we can still talk about the reign of christ in our hearts and in our lives but we must not minimize the significance of these things i think an appropriate response is the weeping of god's church in uh, and his people in situations like this when the jews when the people of God were exiled uh, and they slung their harps on the willow trees and they said, well, they've asked us to, to sing our songs, but how can we sing the songs of Zion uh, by, and how by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion? How long is it going to be before we're looking back and remembering what the United States was, what Canada was, what Britain was? I already do it. I remember what it was. Um, how long before Americans, and frankly, with our pious gush about Jesus being Lord in my heart, and you know, and we're all, we're all we're we're off to cross the Jordan before we're weeping over uh, everything that has been lost and our exile, our exile, our loss of freedom, our loss of loss of freedom of speech are uh, the the loss to our freedoms of 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 worship and 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 faith that are surely coming uh unless God intervenes in a significant way uh the loss of our ability to um, uh, control our own health um our own the, the uh, govern our own homes in the way that we wish to govern them um as more and more progressive oppressive taxation is burdened upon us and so on and so forth. Um, these kinds of acts of dispossession. This should matter to Christians. So yes, let's affirm the, the reality of the sovereignty of God, but let's ask what God may be doing and saying in this situation. That speaks of his judgment on his house, upon his people, and the exile of his people. So we must avoid all glibness at this point about, you know, fear not, the Lord's still king in my heart and in my house. Yes. Uh, but beware um, how long are you going to be allowed your house and how long before the state tries to reach into your home and tell you what you're going to teach your children and reach into your assets and and reach into the inheritance of your children and try and remove it.
2: And Joe, you mentioned uh, pietism several times there. And just... Keeping the finger pointed at at some Christian leaders here, I know earlier I mentioned that a lot of the mainstream media they've labeled Trump as you know hateful, bigoted, divisive, et cetera. Uh, well, so have some very popular evangelical leaders, and you you have to wonder if this moralistic, pietistic high ground they've taken has uh, you know been a big factor in now being handed down what what is sure to be a a radical left agenda um your your thoughts on that joe
0: yeah i think that the in some quarters the quality of commentary uh in guidance for christians uh to us from the not not across the board of course there was some excellent stuff but i think you may be thinking of some of the guys like piper and keller and and uh this sort of um pietistic stream of thought that uh, couldn't see past um you know the the bragging or brash style of of a donald trump um the uh the 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 tweets the the ill discipline on 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 social media and so on and um I mean I don't really want to get into all of that in terms of you know what do i what do I make if i don't I don't follow trump on twitter um but I do know this that if he hadn't communicated via social media to his base he certainly wouldn't have been given a fair shake of the of the stick in mainstream media uh so uh what alternative did he did he have to communicating in those ways he had to move around the typical platforms uh the where access is usually given to to get his message out um but I think that God has used um very fallible uh figures and leaders kind of cyruses uh in in scripture to serve the purposes of god and um to 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 for for pietistic these pious sounding sentiments about uh style and um in ill discipline or bragging uh uh as though, you know, as we look back at the history of presidents in the United States, as though we haven't seen our our, our share of um, interesting styles, let's put it that way. I mean, one can look at the life of a Bill Clinton, for example, perjuring himself before Congress, um, all kinds of sexual escapades, even in the Oval Office with interns and so on and so forth. Um, where was the uh, pious outrage then? We haven't seen that kind of activity from Mr. from the Pence Trump ticket, and 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 where is the where is the where is the assault on uh, from? Where's the comment of these people on Mike Pence? Mike Pence, uh, you know, uh, if you if we watched his debate performance, he's clearly an honourable and a godly man. Um, he uh, he ran alongside Trump for good reason. He's clearly influenced that that administration, and. Um, Surely, the bigger questions are not um, the the style of this larger than life businessman who entered into politics um, with a with a great concern for the state of America um, no No uh, bible believing Christian is going to look at all of the things he says and the style in which he says them and say, "Oh, that was wonderful that was that was that was marvelous. No, but you can't look at any leader and say this was wonderful, this was... Just because evil is performed with a smiling face and a polished rhetoric and high-sounding argument doesn't make it uh, uh, less... Doesn't make it good. Doesn't put you on the right, right side of the aisle. And although Trump may have um, uh, said things that are brash and ill-disciplined and, uh, and um, showboating and whatever else you want to say about him, um, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's what I'm looking at. You remember the, uh, the, the, the parable where the father says to two sons, you know, go out in the field and get some work done. And the, the, the one son says, yes, father, I'll, I'll, I'll do that right away. and The other declines. But when the uh, father returns, the one who said, yeah, I'll go and do that and didn't. But the, but the younger one uh, did actually go to work. Um, who's going to be, who, who, who has done the will of God there? And um, so I'm looking at uh, the, 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 the Trump-Pence ticket, and I'm looking at what they actually did for four years. What did they actually do? Um, did they follow through on commitments and on promises? As far as the charges of bigotry and all that and racism, I don't, I'm afraid I don't buy any of it. I don't see any evidence for it at all. I, all I saw was uh, black unemployment, Latino unemployment falling to its lowest levels in decades and decades, if not ever. Um, I I saw the condition of these people um, uh, who are on the margins being improved. I saw genuine efforts that were never attempted by the Obama uh, and uh, Biden uh, years, eight years uh, of um, prison reform and uh, justice reform. Um, And and that's why in the end, there were some profile members of the black community who were saying, well, at the end of the day, look what's been done. Um, and I think that, that men like that, evangelicals, should have been looking at the policy, the platform, and the accomplishments. Who is defending the Constitution of the United States? Who's defending justice in the courts? Uh, who is defending uh, uh, fairness for, for uh, business leaders, fairness in trade? Uh, who is actually trying to genuinely help uh, in prison reform and and uh, job creation and actually lifting people out of poverty, so instead of all the pious gush about oh I'm not sure I can vote for somebody who tweets this way and does this, why not actually look at what's been done? Because I'm sure that that's what is most concerning to God. Uh, what actually has been enacted? Because God says there in in, in Proverbs, it's it's by Him that judges enact righteousness. Um, so if, if, um, the, I, I think that it would have been much more constructive for Christian leaders to say, let's look at these two tickets. Let's look at these two platforms, the Trump Pence platform, what's been done for four years and the Biden Harris platform, a man who's been 46 years as a career politician now shrouded in corruption of his, of his family who accomplish very little promise much accomplished little um, and uh, is running with the most radical senator ever to sit in the U.S. Senate. A few, just a few remarks, okay, for the for the for the for the for the Biden uh, Harris ticket that that uh, that that apparently evangelicals or some of these evangelicals were saying we can be ambivalent about because we don't like the style, the haircut, or the. Or the attitude of the other uh, of the other ticket, um, pro-abortion, late-stage, partial birth, radical abortion agenda of the Biden ticket, pro-LGBTQ radical agenda, equality. The, the, the their plans for an Equalities act. It'll be the same as what's gone on here in Canada. You're going to see a slew now of attempts to restrict freedom of speech of expression. Uh, of businesses in terms of the LGBTQ agenda, the the, the packing of the Supreme Court, whether well, the the Democrats have been promising, uh, the the new states being created to basically tip the Electoral College so that it becomes basically a one party one, uh, government uh, for forever, um, the defunding of the police. Isn't it been interesting how quiet the streets have been of late? Uh, because the paramilitary wing, apparently, of uh, the Biden Harris ticket is now quiet. Uh, the so defunding of police. We've got the uh, uh, almost the first thing that uh, Biden has talked about is a is a massive mask mandate throughout nationally throughout the United States to work with governors, and if they don't cooperate, to try and work with local mayors to institute local massive masking mandates. You had the the uh, the the Biden Sanders unity manifesto. I mean, did, did these guys read it? Did they even bother to read the Biden, uh, Saunders, Bernie Sanders manifesto before they uh, make their pious speeches? I, I, I it, it, the mind boggles. There's a promise of a car, carbon free power by 2035. That's 50, 15 years from now. The end of a gas and oil industry in America. What do we think that's going to cost? What do we think that's going to do to jobs? At, at best, that's going to cost fifty-two trillion. The Green New Deal, ninety-three trillion, possibly over the next ten years. Uh, let me give you a couple of quotes from this uh, from this Biden-Sanders document um, that it appears many people didn't actually take the time to read. Um, which conflates basically racial inequalities with a, a litany of, um, of climate change catastrophes supposedly. So I quote now, like so many crises facing the United States, the impacts of climate change are not evenly distributed in our society or our economy. Communities of color, low-income families and indigenous communities have long suffered disproportionate and cumulative harm from pollution, water pollution and toxic sites. Highways have been built to enforce racial segregation in our cities with federal dollars and federal policy support. So somehow climate change basically and air pollution are now racially targeting indigenous communities and people of color. Um, uh, we've got um, the, the, basically the claim that the police in the United States are systemically and brutally racist. So I quote now again, police brutality is a stain on the soul of our nation. It is unacceptable that millions of people, I quote, millions of people in our country have good reason to fear that they may lose their lives in a routine traffic stop or while standing on a street corner or while playing with a toy in a public park. End quote. This is the the Sanders Biden document. Um, the uh the the and as far as the housing goes uh, Democrats I'm quoting believe government should take aggressive steps to supply uh, to to this to address the supply of housing especially affordable housing and address long-standing economic and racial inequalities in our housing markets we will equalize access to affordable credit and improve access to down payment assistance to help families of color and low incomes and rural buyers to purchase homes so basically what they're saying is the the biden government will manipulate housing costs lowering the value of everybody's home that's what this actually means uh, democratized housing to have a national zoning map which would wreck suburbs placing everything under federal control a natural a national appraisal system banks being regulated restricting the amount of capital they could lend per geographical location so it's widely accepted that biden will be the most progressive president since FDR and uh, he wants to quadruple quadruple federal spending on low-income housing triple federal spending on low-income K through 12 schools he wants to double Pell grants and make community college free uh he wants he's calling for a hundred billion uh, in investment in more affordable uh, housing and a trust fund he wants ten billion set aside for transit projects I mean you're talking about a massive growth of the federal government uh, in all of these areas. So I think if if we take time and if Christian leaders take time to look at those things, the, the realities here are weighed against injudicious judicious tweets, a brash style, a bragging style, whatever... Maybe people may want to level against the, the Trump-Pence ticket. Um, I'm afraid on the scales, uh, when you look at what's been done and what's promised to be done, um, the world, it's not difficult to figure out where the worldview issue uh, lands here. And it's, it's incredibly disappointing, Nathan, to see um, uh, evangelicals uh, lacking clarity on 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 those things because the cost to believers and, and our freedoms in the years ahead are going to be very severe.
1: Well, we're getting on for time for this week's episode, but uh, Joe, we've uh, we've been talking and referring uh, quite a bit here. Like there are a lot of a lot of Christians in America in in the West who are struggling and and especially are going to continue to struggle in the coming weeks and months to just to figure out which end is up like there there is a massive upheaval in process uh what to, real quick what should be in the minds and hearts of christians as they uh as they try to navigate this uh, this next season
0: sure well first of all I, I very quickly i i see two um well really i see three possibilities that there are three possibilities, I think, going forward. And of course, none of us has a crystal ball to, to stare into to say, you know, this is what will happen. Um, history is our best guide uh, to what happens in these circumstances. Of course, one possibility is that there is, um, uh, we do end up with a, uh, a Biden a Harris government in the White House, and that through it, there's a waking up of more and more people to what that represents, the threat that that represents. God works in people's hearts um, and uh, in in singularly remarkable ways. And, and there's more of a growth of Christianity, especially among new Americans from Latin America, Africa, and so on. And that there is actually a move back towards The Christian faith and, of course, for Americans, um, a support for the Constitution. That's one possibility. The other possibility is, uh, other than this sort of backlash to the radical left, to the the socialists and the Marxists, um, because of some kind of awakening, I really think the only other possibility, and it may be a very, very real one, and we kind of started here when you said, you know, is it really the United States, is the Balkanization of the United States that have that effectively you have two countries in America right now. You've got two countries, you've got these, you've got the flyover states, you've got the, the, the Midwest, and then you've got a bit of the, the Rust Belt, and you've got the coasts, which of course are uh, typically um, uh, more radical. Um, there are exceptions, of course, people, but that, that's the way it typically breaks down Texas, the Midwest, the Rust Belt. So effectively you've got two countries already and one very real possibility. I mean, we've already, we're already seeing the breakup of the EU, granted that's a much newer project. Britain itself is facing its own breakup. The oldest union in the West, the oldest political union in the West, the United Kingdom is on the verge of breaking up. If there's another referendum in Scotland, it will be over and the idea that somehow that's not possible in the United States, I think, is an illusion. Uh, some states, as you know, have the right to secede from the United States anyway. And I think if there's a, an ongoing push in the direction of socialism and, and neo-Marxism, there may well be separatist movements that start to awaken in the United States, and we end up with, with two countries. I think So that's something that Christians need to reflect on, they need to start thinking about. What does it look like to live potentially in a country that uh, needs to break into two parts, that, that needs to become two nations? Because effectively, religiously, that's what you've already got. But m- most important, of course, and to finish on this note, is that we have to, in all of these circumstances and with all of the, you know, the uncertainty and maybe the frustration, disappointment that some people will be feeling also, is we have to be able to rest in the Lord uh, in the midst of it all. Um, I was reading myself this morning, Isaiah 33, and I was looking at uh, verses 8 through 11 and thinking about Canada and, and, and the U.S. and the whole, what the year that 2020 has been. The highways are deserted, it says. Travel has ceased, an agreement has been broken, cities despised, and human life disregarded. The land mourns and withers. Lebanon is ashamed and decayed. Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Now I will rise up, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You will conceive chaff. You will give birth to stubble. Your breath is fire that will consume you. This is, of course, talking about Assyria. Uh, and it's rising against Israel, but I thought it was interesting um, to I was as I was reflecting on these deserted uh, highways, the ceasing of travel, human cities being despised and, and and disregarded, and then the Lord rising up and basically saying, "I'm I'm going to bring your plans to nothing." And this is what we see, of course, throughout Scripture: is that the wicked may have their plans, they may have their plots. I mean, just read Psalm two. Um, but the Lord holds them in derision and he scoffs and he laughs at the wicked The wicked, because the scripture says their foot shall slide in due time. And uh, I think it's the psalmist who says, I saw the wicked. He was flourishing like a green bay tree, but then he was gone. I looked again and he was gone. And that is a, a constant refrain in the scriptures in verse 22 of that same chapter of chapter 33 of Isaiah for the Lord is the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King and he will save us. And I think for me, as I read that this morning, and as I was thinking about everything that's been going on in 2020, the Lord is my judge. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our King of his people. The Lord is our lawgiver, and he's going to save us. So salvation isn't from man, it's from the Lord. And so in all of this, as we pray, as we seek God, as we work, as we serve, as we do everything we can to fight for our inherited liberties and freedoms that were God-given and given to us by the Lord, as we do everything we can to be faithful, no matter what way the battle goes, Uh, We know that uh, God reduces the plans of the wicked to nothing. He is our Lord. He is our lawgiver. He is our judge. And he will save us.
1: Amen. Thanks for that, Joe. Nathan, Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you all for listening. This has been Worldview Wednesday on the podcast for Cultural Reformation. You can get more Ezra Institute resources by visiting www.ezrainstitute.ca. Catch up with the podcast on all your favorite listening platforms. And we'll see you next week for another Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time.